Welcome to the Global Business with Mahesh Joshi. I have with me Dr. Nikhil Sally from CT Bar School of Business here in Houston. And today we are going to discuss what is the role of global institutions like World Trade Organization, World Bank, and IMF in global business. What role they played, what they play, and what's their role in future? Dr. Sally, our guest today, is a strategy and international business professor at CT Bar College of Business at University of Houston. He has an engineering and entrepreneurial background. He possesses unique practitioner and academic experience in North America and Asia. He specializes in competitive strategy, corporate strategy, strategic planning and execution, international strategy, and emerging markets. He also specializes in new businesses and or new products and uh, how to take them to market, the go-to-market strategy. He's also involved in research, surveys, and doing the data design. He designs research and surveys, collection and uh, analysis, statistical modeling, business and financial model, and planning. His other experiences in also include strategy and international business professor at University of Hong Kong, international business professor at Loyola University, New Orleans. He's also worked as a consultant at World Bank and British Council. He has also been an entrepreneur with two startups as well as he has been a currency trader. That's a lot of experience. Uh, welcome, Dr. Nikhil. Uh, thank you, uh, Mahesh, for inviting me uh, to your show. And I'm excited and delighted to be here and look forward to our conversation today. Wonderful. So let me start with uh, uh, talking about the scenario a little bit. Uh, so Nikhil, in today's fast-changing world, where a number of countries have increased by three times in past half a century. I think around 1950s, they were close to 60 or something. Now they are 193 or so. So what, what should one think about the World Trade Organization, World Bank, and IMF, etc.? Are they still relevant? Maybe they are uh, because now World Trade Organization has to regulate uh, businesses amongst more countries and for International Monetary Fund and World Bank, they probably need to help and support processes uh, for newly created economies who are finding their way to grow in a very interlinked global economic society. Also, there is an impact of IT. Now, the, the, the improvement in IT has increased the speed of business and more and more businesses uh, have taken advantage of IT to do that and it has provided a global connectivity and that has made the businesses more complex. Now, can these institutions still function as they were supposed to do or their role needs to change? That's a question and we'll be addressing this as we progress in the program. 
And now look at it. On top of all, there's another disruption coming in uh, from the conventional way of doing business or setting up an industry. Now, there is a startup culture which has taken root. And it has uh, different ways of funding businesses. They use things like crowdfunding, etc., which was unheard of in the past. And in this environment for startups, businesses don't necessarily rely on government or bank funds solely. They go directly to public with various options of funding. And um, just to relate it to another phenomenon, another phenomenon of unicorns. And unicorn went from being used to describe mythical creatures to being used to describe startups that are valued at a billion dollar or more. In 2013, when this term was coined, there were only 39 unicorns at that time. And those 39 were all US-based software companies, which started, say, around 2003 and beyond. They're valued at 1 billion by public or private market investors. This was only about like 0.07% of all venture-backed consumer and enterprise software startups. The number has now jumped to 197. That's a large number. Now, where do the institutions like International Monetary Fund or World Bank participate in these activities? That's another question comes to the mind. Now, before we start answering questions, Nikhil, let me just share with the listeners some background about these three organizations. So in the year 1944, at the Bretton Woods in USA, International Monetary Fund and World Bank were created in an international conference to establish a framework for economic cooperation and development with a central theme of creating a stable and prosperous global economy. The goal of these organizations still remains same, but their work is constantly changing. It is evolving in response to new economic developments and new challenges. Now, if you look at what is IMF, what's the role? So IMF was created to promote international monetary cooperation and to provide policy advice and do capacity development to help countries build and maintain strong economies. Basically, it was helping them to build the economies. And once it's built, uh, support them to even maintain them, whatever help they needed. So IMF was supposed to make loans, and it is still, and help countries in designing their policy programs to solve predominantly balance of payment problems, uh, which arose when they were not able to get sufficient money on an affordable terms to meet their net international commitments of payments. So international monetary funds normally short and medium term and they are mainly funded by the pool of quota contributions their contributors to members uh, who provide it to international monetary fund so who is the staff at international monetary fund they are primarily economists and they normally have wide experience in macroeconomic and financial policies 
Now let's look at the second organization which we are going to talk about today, World Bank. Now the World Bank promotes long-term economic development and it works on poverty eradication and they provide technical and financial support to help countries reform certain sectors or implement specific projects. It could be uh, building schools, building health centers, could be providing water, electricity, it could be fighting diseases or protecting the environment. So World Bank assistance is generally long-term and is funded both by member country contributions and through bond issuance. World Bank is run by specialists. Their staff are specialists on particular issues, particular sectors or techniques. Now the third organization, World Trade Organization. The World Trade Organization is the only international organization dealing with the global rules of trade between nations. Its main function is to ensure that trade flows as smoothly as possible and is predictable and it is as free as possible. Let me give you some more background for World Trade Organization. The General Agreement on Tariffs and Trade was the first worldwide multilateral free trade agreement. It was in effect from June 30th, 1948 till January 1st, 1995. It ended when it was replaced by the World Trade Organization. Just like International Monetary Fund and World Bank, General Agreement on Tariffs and Trade also grew out of Bretton Woods Agreement. Now, World Trade Organization is located in Geneva, it's Switzerland. It started in the January of 1995 and it came out of the Uruguay round of negotiations of General Agreement on Trade and Tariff. And uh, as of last year, they had uh, membership of 164 countries. So in summary, the main functions of World Trade Organization are to administer the World Trade Organization's trade agreements. It provides a forum for trade negotiations. It handles trade disputes. It monitors national trade policies. It also provides technical assistance and training for developing countries. It builds cooperation with other international organizations. So quite a bit of work is being done, looks like at WTO, and some good work is expected to be done by International Monetary Fund and World Bank. They have done considerable amount of work till now but the question in current environment is, how relevant are these organizations now? Well, thank you for an excellent uh, summary of the key points and uh, the origins of uh, the World Bank, uh, the IMF, and the World Trade Organization. I'm sure uh, listeners will appreciate that. Uh, so Mahesh, I thought maybe, uh, I'd add uh, a little bit, maybe starting with the uh, World Trade Organization mm -hmm. in terms of its uh, its relevance. Uh, 
you know, as we said, the number of countries has definitely expanded. But if the charter of the World Trade Organization is to promote uh, free trade uh, for the whole world uh, in its entirety, I think that point is still even more relevant today. And maybe one could use the example uh, of, uh, you know, why we have traffic lights. Uh, you know, traffic lights are there to regulate, um, as we said, traffic uh, on, on, on roads. And basically, we're talking about uh, not just cars, but we're also talking about, uh, you know, in, in many countries, let's say, uh, the analogy of three-wheelers, of, of two-wheelers, all and pedestrians, all sharing uh, the same road, moving at different speeds even at times. Uh, but because of the traffic lights, we have um, order and we have regulation, and because of that, the, the entire city becomes more efficient and um, in its processes and, and its transportation. So we end up becoming more efficient and really losing less time and productivity increases. So using that analogy, if we look at world trade, um, it could be achieved even through individual countries, uh, not observing without traffic lights, mm -hmm. uh, crossing the road at their own benefit, at their own speed, uh, and getting ahead even. Uh, but it comes at the expense of someone else. And then overall, we have chaos, uh, we have traffic jams, uh, we have accidents, and we have uh, very unequal uh, progress where people get left behind. Uh, the one on a, um, let's say on a bicycle gets left behind, and the one uh, in, in, in the best car uh, with the best engine uh, speeds ahead. But eventually, uh, they are left alone. Uh, so if we apply this concept again, the World Trade Organization helps to achieve greater equality and the world as a system uh, benefits. So I would say the World Trade Organization as uh, a regulator is still very much uh, relevant. But the current environment, uh, as we mentioned, uh, has changed somewhat. Uh, the political environment in countries, for example, seems to have um, changed to each country now, some of the countries looking out for their best interests first. Yeah, that, that's a good point. And I, I love your analogy about the traffic lights, and that works very well on the WTO. It's almost like that. So, Dr. Sally, we will take a short break now and we will continue our discussion with your brilliant analogy of traffic lights and, and, the, and, and the similar role played by World Trade Organization in allowing trade to happen globally.
Now there's a new destination for video content. VoiceAmerica.tv, just like our radio channels and so much more. Voice America Variety, Health and Wellness, Business, Sports, Green Talk, Power Up Motorsports, and 7th Wave Network now have their own video channel components. Plus, check out exclusive programming, including movies, music, educational courses, science and history, current events, and short features. High-definition, premier-quality programs available 24-7. VoiceAmerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise you. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Welcome back. You're listening to Global Business with Mahesh Joshi. I have with me Dr. Sally from CT Bar School of Business here in Houston. And we are discussing about the role of global institutions like uh, World Trade Organization, World Bank, and International Monetary Fund in global business. Dr. Sally, you gave a very good analogy on traffic lights and the role of WTO to regulate the business. I'll let you continue there. Thank you, Mahesh. I'll just pick up where we kind of left off, which was the idea of uh, individuals uh, driving your own car, you know, trying to get ahead without traffic lights. And we kind of see that these days with policies or talk about, you know, America first or made in China, uh, make in India, Uh, Even Brexit, uh, to some example, was fueled uh, by this move to uh, put the country first uh, and the idea that working together uh, multilaterally comes at the expense uh, of any one country's interests. Uh, So I think that's sort of, uh, if you go back to traffic lights, um, overall, that may not be in the best interest for that individual country, but definitely for society as a whole. Uh, So I think that's where the WTO is still relevant, however, is faced with these challenges and may need to, uh, probably does need to adapt uh, accordingly uh, to to the present context. So I I, I think that's, that's, you know, the relevance of of, of the WTO Mm -hmm. and the challenge that it's facing. So, so basically, like uh, what you talked about, for a disciplined society, there has to be some common rules to follow. And and very, very true. There's a lot of populism into play nowadays. As you give the right examples of America, India, and China trying to put their own interests first, but the success of those countries is also dependent on world trade. So, China has. Uh, it's, it's literally the manufacturing factory for the whole world and, and India is exporting a lot of knowledge-based services. So for even for them to be successful in dealing with the rest of the world, they will need some regulation. So people can deal with them, they can provide their services or products. So it looks like uh, even in current situation, there is a role for these organizations, especially WTO, 
to to keep the basic guidelines in place i don't say that they decide how a country should run itself but if they are not running well they can be of help especially international monetary fund can do that world trade organization can provide the regulatory guidelines and i also feel and maybe i'll share with you in the poverty reduction world bank still may have to play a role because what is happening right now is the number of countries expanded from 60 something to 190 something now some of these countries don't know some of those basic things to do they were part of a larger country like some of the cis countries which is part of soviet russia they were under control of a bigger regulated uh, country now they need support because they don't have that parent body sitting there for them that could be a critical factor where those in number of countries who have come out small need economic help through imf to put the system and to help with poverty and and building the country through world bank absolutely could not agree more in fact if you look at you know um world populations mm-hmm. uh, the united nations has projected um in a study that by 2050 you know the world's population is is going to increase exponentially and most of this growth really will come in the developing world uh particularly africa and asia uh which by any definition um in terms of gdp and economic uh, level uh these these are really at low levels of development uh so if anything we will need more institutional help uh from institutions such as the imf the countries that they help and the member countries that they focused on probably will change uh but definitely the decades of experience uh will apply perfect that's a very good point and uh moving on nikhil as we are moving pretty fast into the digital age you know it's all about nowadays computers it's all about it it's all about everything being smart from smart currencies to smart cities to smart devices the financial transactions the currencies uh, they play a role and there is an exchange stability which is promoted by imf it helps there but now we hear about cryptocurrencies yet hearing too, so much about bitcoins what do you think would it impact those new developments the role of these institutions in the digital age yeah this uh, i guess smart smart uh, the smart world uh, sometimes uh, dumb people uh, <laughs> may have heard that cliche uh, but really uh, these are again new challenges uh, we are definitely in the digital age and we're probably just at the tip of it uh, in terms of the tip of the iceberg um so as as we discussed earlier the imf was part of its uh, key role was to um was to help uh in terms of uh you know maintain stability in terms of currencies but these currencies were tied to countries um and now in the digital age we don't know where the ownership of of cryptocurrencies or bitcoins you know is this uh, the ownership uh is obviously not uh in the hands of countries um uh, this is this private ownership or who are the you, you know the the owners of these currencies and what impact uh will this have even on world trade uh because as you know going back 
the ancient system of barter existed even before we had you know currencies so now it's it's entirely possible we will see trade uh, mm-hmm. being denominated and transacted in these currencies uh, and that will have an impact on global stability again uh, so is the IMF going to adopt and adapt uh, to this new age when even countries have so much disparity and they too are facing um, all kinds of concerns about uh, how to handle and manage these cryptocurrencies uh, is yet to evolve. So this will be very interesting, uh, I think, to watch. And we have to wait and and see how active uh, institutions such as the IMF get uh, in level of involvement uh, in, in these currencies. Yeah, you're right. It looks like there could be two options. Either these organizations play a role or they stay out of it. So uh, for the world to be a safer place to at least have some disciplining factor when the number of countries have increased threefold in the last 50 years, uh, I, I think they have a role to play. And uh, uh, the, the piece which could be worrisome is is how the donors react to it, that how the donors allow these institutions to to play out uh, their, uh, I would say, much required role. Because even in trade, if you look at it, nowadays you can order anything on uh, internet. The, the sizes of Amazons and Alibabas are bigger than the economies of many countries. I believe Amazon, if it was a country, and its revenue are uh, equal to the GDP of a country, it would have been number 61 in the world. And uh, if you order any of uh, any item, even your day-to-day item on these uh, uh, platforms, you don't know which country you're getting from and what kind of regulations uh, are around it or what kind of regulations will come in the future or what kind of regulations should be there. It's not only, I would say, in terms of taxation or something, how about the quality of products moving back and forth? And, and, and what, could, what could you do in cases of disputes? Uh, maybe th- there is already some kind of regulations in the work or in place and we, the, the users of these platform don't see, but the flow of goods and services across the continents has increased the currencies like Bitcoin, their valuation is going up. So looks like uh, uh, there is some more disrupting elements uh, going to appear very soon or they're already there and it will need, I don't know if it is good to have less regulation, but it will need more regulation for uh, people who don't know or who are just the users to get an adverse impact of not having regulation on, on, on trade or, or, or the currencies. So we will take a short break here and we'll continue our discussions after the break. What sets apart VoiceAmerica.tv from the other video content providers on the internet? 
choice and flexibility means that you can host your video content live or on demand on the main voiceamerica.tv channels through your own branded media player or your own private tv channel we support multiple media formats so all of your video content can be in one place we offer a number of advertising and video packages for more information visit voiceamerica.tv if you think you've seen online tv like this before let us surprise you For exciting video content live and on demand, visit www.voiceamerica.tv for exclusive content you just can't find anywhere else. That's voiceamerica.tv. Tune in now. You are listening to The Global Business with Mahesh Joshi. I have with me Dr. Sally from City Bar School of Business here in Houston. We are having a very interesting discussion on the role of global institutions like World Bank, International Monetary Fund, and WTO in global business, especially when there has been so many changes in the environment. The number of countries have changed. Uh, the digital age has come upon us, uh, change after change. And uh, still, we don't know whether uh, there will be some other disruption disruption coming our way. So, uh, Nikhil, let's look at it. The situation with the developing countries, developed countries and emerging markets, whatever we call it, uh, the developing countries are emerging now as the main engines of world economic growth. Now the role of IMF, International Monetary Fund, and World Bank, what should happen to it? Because these were dominant, the dominant players in these banks were the developed countries. And they were the engines of uh, economic growth in the world. Now it's shifting to developing and emerging countries. Definitely, I would see in any effort you put in to recast the mission of World Bank could set off sharp battles or issues on its governing board. Could be in the U.S. Congress and elsewhere. U.S. Congress because they fund a lot. And uh, people can say, it's our money from U.S. you're using for developing other countries. So let's talk about uh, the change which has come in with developing countries and emerging markets taking the role of uh, the engines of world economic growth. Sure. Um, I think by all accounts, we we do agree uh, that, uh, you know, emerging markets, however you define them, uh, and I think over time, we started with the G7, the group of seven countries, right. um, which was typically US, uh, I think Germany, UK, France, Canada, 
uh, Japan, I think Russia also was, was part of it, uh, expanded then to the G8, uh, recently became the G20 or the group of 20 where they brought in other emerging markets. And looking at reports, uh, I came across one by PricewaterhouseCoopers that says uh, by 2030 to 2050, uh, from the G7 to G20, we'll have the E7. Uh, and the E7 are the group of seven emerging countries, right. um, which are really going to dominate uh, the world economy. The only the large player left in the world is still the US. And it's expected to remain uh, dominant, uh, probably not number one, uh, but definitely in the top three, with China and India being one and two, US three, Japan four, uh, and then we've got, depending on numbers, either um, we'll have Germany, we'll have uh, Mexico, Indonesia, Brazil, Russia, um, and uh, probably UK making up the top 10. Mm -hmm. uh, so by all accounts, uh, the world order is changing. Uh, so any kind of world institution necessarily has to be representative uh, of the new world order. Uh, so I think in terms of the makeup uh, of these institutions, it's going to be just a natural uh, matter of evolution um, that they should represent where the, where the world's economy is. Um, in addition to that, we see some countries becoming much more dominant and assertive uh, given their increased power. Uh, and to illustrate uh, just you know one of the countries, China, for example, um, has even put forth its own proposal uh, to have an infrastructure bank, the Asian um, Infrastructure Investment Bank, AIIB, uh, with a lot of seed funding primarily contributed to by China, uh, but also other countries that are keen to uh, work with China and recognize the need for trading with China uh, to come on board. Uh, and apparently the kinds of projects uh, that they want to fund may be uh, you know, quite different to the kinds of projects that uh, traditionally or historically uh, the World Bank has been funding. Uh, their projects in countries such as Pakistan, Kenya, for example. Yeah, they can go for that one road, one, uh, one road. Or even the recently announced you know, $3 trillion initiative you know, where they're investing in infrastructure. Uh, and physical infrastructure to build up the old and ancient uh, trade routes which were in existence to connect, for example, Europe through Central Asia uh, to China. Uh, and all these kinds of initiatives are coming up. So if that's where the development is, if that's where the need is, and that's where you know the infrastructure is, that's pretty much where you would expect the investment and money to flow. Mm -hmm. uh, but where this causes conflict and tension in the existing organizational structure of agencies such as the World Bank and the IMF is that historically the, the donors, as Mahesh mentioned, have typically been uh, you know, the countries, the G5 or the G7. Uh, so right away there we have uh, conflict, we have trade-off, and we also have um, a lot of time uh, in terms of decision-making because there's so many actors involved with uh, different interests. Uh, so I think we will just, uh, and, and that's why it's not surprising that we see alternative institutions being proposed, such as the AIIB, uh, for example. Right. And also, you know, one of, one of the major roles, especially World Bank, uh, it is a role <laughs> with poor countries. 
where the bank uh, is an aid donor and um, and they, they donate to some of the world's poorest countries and if you look at the contribution the contributions are only a small fraction of the aid money distributed by developed countries private groups like Gates Foundation and other institutions you see those foundations are playing a major role so that's another variable coming in and denting the, uh, the, the kind of solely owned role for World Bank to provide aid to the poor. Now the private uh, parties are coming or the foundations are coming into play. Now, does it mean that uh, is there a clear goal for the institution at this point of time? It used to be, especially for World Bank, to help poor countries to come up. Yeah, that's really interesting. I think, again, when these institutions were formed, uh, we did not really have uh, private uh, individuals, uh, either with the kinds of resources we see today. Uh, if you just look again at some of the stunning numbers uh, for the Forbes uh, you know, list of the world's richest billionaires, we see numbers like uh, you know, $80 billion now, either for Jeff Bezos, Amazon, uh, Bill Gates, or Warren Buffett you know, $80 billion individual uh, worth. And with shares prices going up for many of these companies, uh, you know, that's probably the, the, the lower number that we'll see uh, in the next uh, even decade or so. Uh, plus the philanthropic, uh, you know, intention mm -hmm. and, and growth in philanthropy worldwide uh, is simply phenomenal. Uh, the kinds of resources and speed of action that these private uh, individuals can uh, can muster uh, compared to an institution uh, mm -hmm. such as the uh, World Bank that is funded by diverse countries, each contributing you know um, some amount of money, uh, sort of pales in comparison to as we said uh, these uh, the Gates Foundation, for example. Um, having said that, you know I think we'll always have the need uh, for 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 the capital, uh, but more so also the capabilities and the knowledge uh, that the World Bank has built up over the last uh, several decades. Um, and I, I think that's a resource that, that, that can really be tapped in um, by, by, by private investment, by, by other institutions to help all of these countries that are still coming in, and uh, for example, Africa. So for sure, I do think we will have these institutions but we will not be solely dependent on them. And we already see that uh, shift uh, occurring and will only grow so more. And that's probably a welcome move. Yeah, that's a very good point. I think the most efficient would be if these institutions and, and private institutions like Gates Foundation could work together because some of these foundations are funded by the people. And as you talked about their net worth, their net worth is higher than the GDP of many countries. So they can very well contribute to development of the world. And, and, the, and the good side is that they're willing to date. And some of these organizations and private institutions are working on eradicating poverty and also on, on, on health issues across the world, which is very important. So um, we will take a short break now and we'll continue our discussions after the break.
sets apart voiceamerica.tv from the other video content providers on the internet. Choice and flexibility means that you can host your video content live or on demand on the main voiceamerica.tv channels through your own branded media player or your own private TV channel. We support multiple media formats, so all of your video content can be in one place. We offer a number of advertising and video packages. For more information, visit voiceamerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise you. Looking for exciting video content live and on demand? Visit www.voiceamerica.tv for exclusive content you just can't find anywhere else. That's voiceamerica.tv. Tune in now. Welcome back. Uh, you are listening to The Global Business with Mahesh Joshi. I have with me Dr. Nikhil Sally from City Bauer School of Business here in Houston. We are having very, very interesting discussions on the role of global institutions like World Bank, International Monetary Fund, and World Trade Organization in global business. Nikhil, uh, we are in the last segment of our discussion today. Uh, let's talk about uh, what is the effectiveness or what could be the effectiveness or how effective can World Trade Organization be in the current age of e-commerce and a boundaryless world? Uh, sure. Uh, again, as we address this, maybe... Uh, you know, talking of the boundaryless world, uh, uh, I, I just uh, one other fun fact. Maybe eleven uh, eleven is uh, Singles Day in um, in China. Uh, so uh, Alibaba uh -huh. uh, trading, you know, just the amount of uh, sales on Alibaba in that one single day are more than Black Friday and uh, Cyber Monday in the U.S. Both, combined, uh, both together. combined together. This was $25 billion yesterday in one day alone. Um, and, uh, you know, it's uh, expected to grow. Uh, the numbers alone suggest, you know, it's not just China. Alibaba has become an international e-commerce uh, platform. Um, you know, it surpassed Amazon, as we said, in single day uh, mm -hmm. sales. Uh, it's, you know, where, where are, who are they selling to and where are the goods coming from? It's not just one country. So it's very much cross-border. Also expanding to uh, agreements with companies. Uh, so sitting in the U.S., you could not only buy from Amazon, but you could buy uh, on uh, Alibaba's uh, T-Mall mm -hmm. or, or, or Taobao. Now, what does this say to us exactly to your question about, you know, the role of uh, the World Trade Organization? 
even just a simple question about the country of origin of, uh, of the goods. Uh, where are they coming from? Where are they being shipped? Uh, how do you even begin to regulate trade uh, in a boundaryless world? Uh, so I think we really do not have these answers yet, uh, but uh, you know we will need some sort of mechanism. Otherwise, left alone, we are back at you know the frontier frontierless uh, world where you know each one takes uh, <laughs> takes what they get, uh, mm -hmm. and there's no control. Uh, so you know we we will have to come up with an answer. But let's take a look at you know some of the the facts that we do know. What impact has the World Trade Organization had, uh, and where does it stand today? Um, definitely, some numbers again. Uh, you know, World Trade reached a peak of about twenty-three trillion dollars in twenty fourteen. Um, it has dropped somewhat in the last uh, few years, primarily driven by uh, you know slowdown in uh, in China, for example, which was responsible or the primary driver of growth in the last uh, decade or so, uh, as well as a fall in commodity prices. Yeah, even the uh, oil itself. Went oil itself went down from one. Exactly. Uh, so, you know, that's not surprising mm -hmm. uh, uh, to see that number. However, it's still a very high number in terms of trade. More importantly, we have, uh, uh, you know, 164 members, countries of the World Trade Organization and that's about 84% of the 190 odd countries in the world right now. That's a positive that 80%, 84% of the countries are following or willing to accept the regulations since they're part of the body. Absolutely. Uh, and you know, there's been a lot of effort uh, that has gone on in the past few decades, as we said, uh, to, to grow and foster the, the World Trade Organization. Uh, and regardless of the current debate about globalization versus deglobalization uh, benefits trade-offs that we are that we are seeing um, you know the world trade organization has definitely helped trade uh, flow smoothly uh, through the various multilateral uh, trade agreements that have been uh, in place well, what do the see these are so many uh, members so what are the benefits these members get if they are uh, part of world trade organization yeah, I think what the World Trade Organization does, thank you for that question, is really, you know, make it more equitable. Mm -hmm. uh, so some of the benefits, you know, I would just maybe describe three of them. Yeah, um, three, yeah. Yeah, the first, you know, the WTO grants each member uh, the most favored nation status, uh, which means that WTO members must treat each other the same. Uh, they gave no preferential trade benefit to any one member without giving it to all. So that truly is an equitable, uh, you know, society in terms of trading. So it doesn't matter how large uh, or influential you are as a country, you still get the same benefits. Mm -hmm. um, the second one is that uh, WTO members have lower trade barriers with each other. Uh, this covers the vast range of uh, tariffs, import quotas, and regulations. Um, these trade barriers, uh, when they're lower, uh, generally allow members access to larger markets for their goods. Uh, this in turn leads to greater sales, uh, more jobs, and greater economic growth. Mm -hmm. uh, so that again is a definite plus. Uh, plus you know, th this is a very good point, second one, sorry for the interruption, and that allows the geopolitical stability also. You know, if the country is, is, is growing in jobs, economy is growing, 
and they're trading uh, with their partners, it kind of creates a geopolitical stability because the economics has come to the forefront. Absolutely. And, you know, uh, greater wealth uh, generation just uplifts societies in general. Yeah. Uh, whether we talk about, you know, um, crime being reduced, for example, mm -hmm. uh, even in places like Mexico, right? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, as long as the society is uh, benefiting, you have good paying jobs. Uh, where, you know, why would you turn to uh, other sources? Correct. Um, so that's crime, you know, uh, being lowered, education being improved, mm -hmm. healthcare benefiting. In fact, all of those millennium developmental goals that the World Bank, in fact, has outlined, mm -hmm. all benefit when trade increases. Mm -hmm. uh, so from that perspective, it's definitely a plus. Um, and, and lastly, I would say really the biggest impact, if you think globally, is most or two thirds of the members of the WTO are from the developing world. And, you know, that's a staggering statistic mm -hmm. uh, and is expected probably to increase, as we said, with more countries, mm -hmm. uh, you know, population growth coming in these markets, particularly in Africa. Um, and, you know, when when uh, when they win, um, the developed world also wins. Mm -hmm. It's sort of uh, it's not a zero sum game. You know, everyone benefits. Uh, well, that's definitely one view. Right. Uh, mm -hmm. And we can see data to support that as well. So I would say these are the top three benefits. Mm -hmm. of uh, of being a member of the World Trade Organization. Oh, that's wonderful. I'm saying, see, if you look at benefits from the point of view of developing countries, and since they're members, the membership is allowing them immediate access even to developed countries. Now you have the markets open for you, and, and they're also getting lower tariffs. And uh, they can get um, uh, connected to the sophisticated processes, systems, and uh, the mature industries in, in developed market, that's a huge benefit. Otherwise, they will have to develop in isolation, even if they are helped by World Bank. Say, for example, they are donating money and IMF helping them to grow and put policies in place. But the WTO on top of it, this third point, really helps developing countries to connect to the, the mature markets, get the technologies, and, and that's a huge benefit. That's what I see. All right. Now, Nikhil, what do you see as uh, what what's happening with um, the developed countries who were kind of, you can co call them, uh, the founders in a way, the Europe's and, and, and the U.S. for these organizations. Yeah, again, quite a, I would say, uh, maybe controversial question, yeah. because probably the benefits of trade uh, or free trade uh, are being debated uh, more in these countries uh, than in the developing uh, countries, as, as we just sort of outlined. Yeah. Uh, Still, you know, one could say that uh, definitely when uh, developing countries um, grow in income, we are creating more consumers uh, mm -hmm. for and markets uh, for the developed world. And uh, maybe talking about India, uh, um, you know, the pharmaceutical uh, industry uh, mm -hmm. for a long time in India was uh, was quite close to the outside, and there were drug controls and. Uh, you know, generic drugs uh, being produced in India and process patterns being recognized, but not product patterns. Mm -hmm. But when India joined the WTO, uh, you know, part of the, the membership requirement was to rec uh, recognize product patterns, which opened up, uh, you know, a whole market 
uh, mm. to pharmaceutical fun, uh, companies. Mm. Uh, so, you know, it's still being debated, I'd say, but there definitely seem to be benefits. However, um, just given the shift worldwide that we've discussed, I do see the US and Europe uh, maybe losing some clout mm-hmm. um, in the WTO. Um, we That's because of emerging market economies becoming predominant and China becoming number two economy. Absolutely. And as we said, you know, going forward, if it's the E7, mm-hmm. uh, you know, versus the, <laughs> the G7. Right. And that's just the reality. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, we won't, we shouldn't even probably put it as losing cloud. It's just, you know, the world is just adjusting uh, mm-hmm. uh, to, to the order uh, that's coming about in place. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, you know, also another maybe point of evolution for the WTO in the past, I'd say a lot of the negotiations uh, were around, you know, relatively straightforward uh, debates about tariffs mm-hmm. and quotas. Uh, but now it seems to have become more uh, controversial and even political mm-hmm. uh, because we have all kinds of questions now, um, probably right, you know, rightfully so uh, for for many countries about the environment, mm-hmm. about issues around health, uh, development, and a host of you know other issues, uh, and, and and many of these are coming from the emerging countries. Mm-hmm. Uh, so as these import issues become more important and relevant uh, in terms of trade, mm-hmm. uh, you know we would necessarily see uh, issues uh, prevalent in the West becoming probably less uh, important, mm-hmm. and thus uh, one one could say that the U.S. and Europe are losing clout. Mm-hmm. and the emerging markets are becoming more important uh, to the World Trade Organization. Correct, correct. You know, there's always a question in everybody's mind, why should anybody care if World Trade Organization or the multilateral trading system fails? You know, it's a hypothetical question. But if you, if you look at it, um, you can always have bilateral or regional trade agreements. They accomplish the same goal, people trade. But before you do that, one has to consider few few aspects uh, of transactions between so many countries. First is the World Trade Organization, it, it still continues to operate very successfully. And it has been very successful in implementation of all the past agreements. And it's, it's uh, definitely it's a forum for negotiating. Uh, but it's also a place where countries can resolve their disputes peacefully. And, and there, there are not tit-for-tat trade wars. And WTO also provides them, uh, through its trade policy review procedures, um, some source of information. At least there is something uh, which, is, uh, which can be used by everybody as a reference point. That's a good part about WTO and what they, what's known about WTO that it is largely due to the World Trade Organization that the world trading system has been resilient during the Great Recession. Something that was most definitely not true during the Great Depression. It was not available. And um, the second reason why uh, World Trade Organization should be there what they've done well is, you know, if you abandon it, the consequences uh, of this could be very dangerous. From from just economic standpoint, there could be a risk that bilateral and re- regional agreements are trade diverting means. 
and that their primary effect could be not to create trade, but rather to shift it to a less rational directions. And this can happen because of uh, the political motives and trade protections. Trade protections could be, they, they are normally driven by uh, the political motives. And uh, it's very difficult to fathom how a global trading system, uh, which is made up of many, many overlapping bilateral and regional agreements, uh, which could be very confusing and nobody could understand. So at least uh, with the legal environment the WTO provides and, and gives an umbrella for all those kind of bilateral and regional agreements, it provides still a very uh, good and nice common platform. So it looks like there are positives and negatives, but overall, uh, even in digital age, uh, all the three institutions as role to play. World Bank definitely more number of countries even if it's a digital age they have to take care of development and continue with what they're doing. Uh, International Monetary Fund same way take care of uh, uh, the, the, the role which they have been playing till now and WTO a World Trade Organization maybe may have more responsibility as the new way of trading comes in and with the increased number of countries creating along with the new way of trading a very complex matrix to manage. So uh, Nikhil, thank you so much. It has been a very interesting discussion. Uh, thank you, Mahesh. I enjoyed it uh, as well and uh, great questions. Thank you. Thank you.